Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of the show, where we get to sit down, meet some new friends, and go inside the minds of some of the most creative and innovative forces shaping our world today. I'm so excited about this episode because we have a fellow Dear Media family member on the show today who is also such a source of inspiration to me and someone that I really look up to in the journalism world. She's known as the Lois Lane of Forbes, a podcast host, and a voice to female founders everywhere. Kareen Eldor is the host of Share a Voice, a podcast about the power of discovering your voice and sharing your truth in the process. Each episode features compelling conversations with the wave makers and game changers, like Taryn Toomey and Kareen Odeny, who's on their radar. She's also a widely beloved journalist and senior contributor to Forbes Women, breaking stories like Creighton Cultivate's recent valuation to the rise of Instagram comedian Elsa Majimbo. She's also a contributor to Cup and Tour, Teen Vogue, Monster, and as a regular contributor to Shopify's blog, where she offers founders retail advice and profile success stories. In this episode, Kareen gives us a masterclass on becoming a successful journalist, how to nail a press pitch, and how she overcame her shyness to become a conduit to share both her voice and the voices of others. I hope you guys love this episode. She drops so many gems, especially if you want to be a writer or in the journalism world, take notes. If you haven't subscribed to the show and you find yourself coming back every week, take the time to subscribe and leave us a review. And if you love the show, as always, share it with a friend. And as you guys know, I love seeing when you're listening. So take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram. I will always reshare as you guys are listening and probably say hi too. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I hope you have an amazing week. Here's my friend, Kareen Eldor. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I am so excited today because I have someone who I truly admire and someone that I just honestly love to shoot the shit with. Kareen Eldor, she's with us today. Where are you phoning in from? From Montreal, Canada. Okay, so she's in Montreal, which is like one of my favorite cities in the world. I went there with my boyfriend two years ago and all we did was eat bagels and just bike around. And like we went on a full eating tour of that city. I love when people say that. I love that so much. And it's like always the big debate of, is it Montreal bagels or New York bagels that are better, but Montreal bagels. (laughs) I feel like you can't compare the two. They're totally different. Yeah. Like one is really fluffy and the other one. So a friend of mine told me that actually with Montreal bagels, you're supposed to, instead of like putting cream cheese on and like eating them normally, you're supposed to pull them apart and like dip them. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, I, I would even just eat them plain, like a full on snack because they're sweets. 
Okay. They're made right. with like their syrup and I don't know. Right. The biggest debate that I've dealt with between living in New York and LA is people coming for me over pizza and bagels. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Totally. It's super wild. I know. And I also love, I love that you pronounced my name correctly. That's always like, that's a huge deal for me. So <laughs> thank you. I love that you're saying that because I do feel like that's probably something that is so annoying to you often. Oh my God. It's the worst. And like, and when people like, it's so cringe when people will call me Karen because the default, the default when you see my name is to say Karen because right. Cause there's no E at the end, like K A R I N and it's, it's Karen or Corinne. That's what people will call me. But like, I, I just, I love that you, I love that you off the bat said Corinne and (laughs) And it's well, like, I won't lie. I won't lie for journalists listening, listening, make sure you go through everything. I do this with everybody, all of my guests, because people, I feel like there are some different names out there. And so I feel like every time I have someone on, I go through like YouTube videos, podcasts, like I make sure I get that like pronunciation right, because it makes me so nervous. Like to mispronounce someone's name always feels like a really big no, no. Yeah, no, totally. It was a bit of like, um, an aha moment for me a few years ago where I was at a conference and I was at Create and Cultivate and um, someone who I know there had, she had been mispronouncing my name for years. She was always so awkward. Yeah. And then she heard me introduce myself to somebody else. And I said, Corrine. And she was like, Oh my God. She's like, She's like, holy shit, have I been mispronouncing your name all this time? She's like, I'm so embarrassed. And she's like, lady, she's like, you should be correcting people. Like that's the primary, the primary way to be using your voice and pretty much like advocating for yourself. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. It's literally advocating for yourself. Like for people to say your name correctly and like see you correctly. Yeah, exactly. It's advocating for myself. And, but it's this whole thing of at what point is it too late? You know, when you know someone for a few years. Oh, I think it's never too late. Too late. I think it's never too late where it's like, Hey, by the way, like I didn't take this offensively, but my name's actually Kareen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, I think that's really special. And I love to hear that you're in a phase of beginning to advocate for yourself. I think that's great. Thank you. I turned 43 tomorrow, by the way. Oh my God. (laughs) Happy almost birthday. By the time you guys are listening to this, she will have had her birthday. So it's about damn time (laughs) that I learned to advocate for myself, but it's never too late. I think also advocating for yourself comes in a million different shapes and sizes. And I'm sure that you're advocating for yourself in other ways in your life, but this is a small way that I feel like could really, really be good for you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. On that note, I wanted to open up today because Kareen is someone that I deeply admire. She's a fellow Forbes contributor. She is actually a senior writer at Forbes. She's written some incredible stories that I'm sure you all have seen across your social media platforms and like out in the ether. Um, but she also has an amazing podcast also on Dear Media called Share a Voice. So we overlap in a ton of different ways. I always want to know, because this is a question that I get asked often, do you consider yourself a journalist? First of all, thank you so much for the kind words that you just said. That's so sweet. <laughs> do I consider myself a journalist? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's an, it's an interesting conversation because every time I go out somewhere and introduce myself as a journalist, people are like, oh, so you're a reporter. Like, where do you report for? And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm an interviewer. Like I host conversations. I interview people for a living, but I think that there's definitely that like blurred line right now of like, 
what it, what it means to be a journalist and what we can consider ourselves? Yeah. So first of all, I would say to a degree, I think if somebody, if you believe you're a journalist, then shout out that you're a journalist, you know, like, I think we can, we can say whatever, whatever we, we could, it's not even fake it till you make it. It's like, if you believe manifesting it. Yeah, exactly. If you believe you are this, then, you know, of course, to a degree, but yes. Um, I also think with journalism, it's so much more journalism today is so much, there's so many layers to journalism, like you said, and so many blurred lines. So it's about storytelling. So like I consider myself a storyteller. I feel like you do as well, because our style of writing is more engaging rather than like breaking news style. So So it's about storytelling and also being conversationalists, like you said. But so how did you get into journalism? Was it something that you feel like was a part of your childhood? Yes. So first of all, funny story. When I was, so yes, there's a few kind of, there's a few hints that I would say, or there's a few whispers I would say that I had while growing up. The first one is that I just remember in the late eighties, let's say when I was watching TV or even late eighties, early nineties, I I would tell people I want to be Murphy Brown, which is so weird, (laughs) but it's like of all the female characters on TV, I related to Murphy Brown anyway. So that was number one. Something different, something different, probably not what you're friends in school were expecting you to say. No, it was super random, but so that was number one. Then I remember, and I actually, I actually have a copy of this book that I DIY'd when I was 11. And I just kind of used to like craft and write little books and like put them together for fun. So that was, you know, how they say kind of your, what you do as a hobby or your spare time could be a hint to what you what you yes, want to be doing, right? Absolutely. So I rediscovered this book. I had totally forgotten about it. And I found it while I was moving a few years ago. And it's a book that it's it's a story. And then I had even created like an about the author page with my little headshot in my little schoolgirl uniform. And it said, This is Kareen's first published book, and she plans to publish many more. So that's so cute. That's so cute. So thank you. So it's so funny, like that I felt compelled to, to write that. So that was another little kind of a little hint. I don't know if it's like manifesting or vision boarding. And I didn't even know what vision boarding was at the time. So that happened. And I really just always knew writing was just always my thing. And it's this weird thing where it's like, are you born a writer or do you become mm-hmm. one? I'm not sure. But like I said, it was always my thing. And I love how Fran Lebowitz says in, um, have you watched Pretend It's a City? I have. It broke oh my, my heart God. because I miss New York, but it was really, really <laughs> like, it was amazing to watch. Oh, amazing. Amazing. So it was so relatable to me how she said that she always loved writing until she got paid for it. Yes. So that was like, ouch. I forgot about that bit. She was like, then I hated it and I couldn't do it anymore. It didn't like free flow out of me anymore the second I started getting paid for it. 
Exactly. So it's like, you know, I'm, I, I think about this so much about how, you know, writing, I kind of created this label for myself of, well, I'm a writer. But then when it starts to become your career, there's like all this pressure that comes along with it. So anyway, that's a whole kind of conversation of does your passion have to be your paycheck? I don't think it does. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey guys, as you all know, this show is all about taking you inside some of the most innovative and creative minds shaping our world today. But being a game-changing entrepreneur, or anyone for that matter, does not come without nights of sleeplessness caused by stress and anxiety. This week's been a stressful one for me. Whether it's adjusting to new social engagements again, who can relate? I feel like my social tank is like half empty these days after quarantine for so long. Or even just the anxiety of managing a busier schedule again. Keeping my anxiety and stress in check is the only way I know I can ensure my success and happiness. And we all experience stress, fatigue, or pain in our lives from time to time in our own ways. But choosing how you address these problems can be a challenge, especially if you're looking for alternatives to pharmaceutical products that are so pervasive these days. And that's why I love Right Wellness. They've helped me find the relief I've been looking for thanks to their all-new tincture that uses the latest transformative hemp ingredient, CBN. CBN is a powerful, non-intoxicating, hemp-derived compound with benefits around reducing stress, sleeping better, and managing aches and pains. It's an all-natural ingredient that's really similar to CBD, but way more effective. Right Wellness wants to help you get the relief you deserve, and you can save 20% off now just by being a listener of the show. Simply go to Right Wellness Co., that's rightwellness.co, and use the promo code FRIEND20. And you're trying it risk-free. If you're not fully satisfied in the first 30 days, they'll give you a full refund. Go to rightwellness.co and use the promo code FRIEND20. Hi, I'm Dom Roberts, a designer, creative, and activist living in Los Angeles. This is The Uncomfortable Podcast, a show where I speak with new friends, fellow activists, and guests all united and passionate about different injustices or just generally uncomfortable topics. It's time to dig deep into the human experience, and that's on period. It's all love. Let's get uncomfortable. Someone asked me as I was preparing for my solo episode if they if I think it's necessary to go to journalism school. And on the show, I said yes, because all of the journalism classes that I took were so informative for me in terms of like knowing the mechanics of writing and telling a story. I guess I like I'm taking that back now because I'm like, oh, you don't fully need to go to journalism school, but I do think you need to take a journalism class. And I'm wondering what you think about that. I totally agree. I don't think you have to go to a journalism school. I think, first of all, I think to be a journalist, I mean, you do have to have somewhat of the innate skill to know how to write, but for sure you could learn, anyone can learn to be a better writer. But like you said, like you could, first of all, practice writing in any, with any degree, like it doesn't have to be specifically journalism. And there's so many tools. I feel like the rules also, I mean, I don't know if someone would slap me on the wrist for saying this, but even writing for Forbes, like I don't, I don't follow the mechanics of proper grammar necessarily. Right. Right. So, you know, like it's more about a style. More about your voice. Yeah, exactly. It's about your voice and structure. So I'm sure my editors, my editors might cringe sometimes when they see (laughs) that I'm breaking kind of punctuation rules, but 
with Grammarly, obviously that helps. Mm -hmm. And it's just more about being, having organized, having organized thinking when you're writing. Right. Right. But, and like you said, also having your, your signature voice. Right. Just for some context, Kareem just brought up something called Grammarly, which I've talked about a ton on the show. It's an amazing resource that you guys can use. I think it's literally grammarly.com and you pay like a yearly subscription. Anytime you're writing anything, you can put something in there and it will help edit all the errors, the grammatical errors in there. So definitely a good resource that we obviously both recommend and give glowing reviews to. Definitely like my, my savior on so many occasions. I think it's so much about experience, you know, like, and you and I recently were talking about this, like kind of mic drop moment that we both like had within our careers. And I feel like mine, I was in college and I talked about this in my solo episode was getting to go and cover the Victoria's Secret fashion show for Forbes. Like that definitely changed my entire trajectory and helped me see a like career that I was excited about. And I'd love to hear if you can reflect on what your mic drop moment was or like what kind of big moment for was for you in terms of knowing that you could be a journalist and really see a career for yourself in that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So the first, first moment, and this is to highlight the fact that that no path is linear. And like I said, like I said before, when I studied, when I studied communications, I actually wasn't sure what I was doing upon graduation. I was kind of like, like most of us. Yeah, exactly. I really, I didn't, but I wasn't sweating it. I knew, I know, I knew that one thing would lead to the next, would lead to the next. So when I graduated, I had left my, my CV at the career and placement service. And I ended up getting hired by the founders of askmen.com. So, oh, wow. yeah. So this was, you know, for context at the time, um, this again was 2000. The only things on the internet at the time were like Ask Jeeves and Amazon. Oh my God, Ask Jeeves. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, it was like very different era. So askmen.com, they, and by the way, they were business, they were all business majors. None of them studied journalism. They hired myself and another woman as editors. And it turned out to be one of the biggest success stories. Like it was, it ended up being acquired by a big, um, a big digital company in, in the US. So it was a huge success story. So that was kind of a mic drop in terms of, that I was there for five years and that opened so many doors for me and also taught me, it taught me so much about grassroots organic marketing, like online marketing and even, even tools like, um, the power of online search, like organic searching, linking, link exchange, and even kind of like basic HTML coding. So anyway, those are kind of all tools that still serve me today. Yeah. Understanding the power of digital content, because the whole premise of askmen.com was that content is king or queen. Right. I could say. So that was the first thing that that was almost like the first thing that paved my career path. And then another big mic drop was definitely, um, I started working as, so as we were discussing, I was writing for Forbes. I mean, I'm still writing for Forbes and things came full circle because I was an attendee at Create and Cultivate. I had attended several Create and Cultivate 
And then all of a sudden, I, I landed an opportunity to interview Kim Kardashian at, at Create and Cultivate while she was a keynote. So I would definitely say that was a mic drop moment because, totally. I mean, the star, I mean, obviously the, the level of celebrity that she has. And this was, this was about two years ago. And I right. remember it was a mic drop for me more because I would all of a sudden I'm standing face to face in front of Kim Kardashian. So it's kind of, it's parallel to your Victoria's Secret moment in that it just, it takes, it takes it to another level. It's like a right. level of, of having to interview people. Right. So it also made me realize that because I'm super, I'm someone who's very awestruck by celebrity culture, even right. as a grown woman, I get like super nervous. And I just remember someone said to me backstage, like all of a sudden I'm backstage, like I said, and there were all these cameras around me, which made me even more nervous because they were like filming footage for the show. Right. And I remember someone said to me, you know, yes, obviously she's one of the biggest celebrities in the world, but at the end of the day, this is your job and she's doing her job. Right. So it's, she's, you know, the person said, it's not like you're stopping her on the street to take a selfie. Like you're both doing your jobs. She's just a person and she's a mom like you. So, you know, just do it. And I did it. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective to go into, especially as journalists when we're in the room with so many people that could definitely make us make our hearts skip a few beats. Yeah, a hundred percent. So now I just tell myself, like, okay, tick, you know, I interviewed Kim and you know, I could take on I could take on any other any any other celebrity. Totally true. So that was definitely a mic drop and also taught me that. I have a voice like Mm -hmm. that I, that I can use my voice. And anyway, it was just super cool. And my 10 year old daughter goes around telling people and she'll introduce me as someone who interviewed Kim Kardashian. Like that's my tagline. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. That's really, really cute. We'll be right back after a quick break. As you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram, I have a new puppy named Bodhi who I am head over heels, obsessed and in love with. But in the process of getting him, I did a ton of research into new companies and things I can do to keep him healthy and have a happy, long life, which is why I'm really excited to tell you guys about this new company I discovered called Gallant. It's a biotech company that aims to heal pets through proven regenerative medicine. Gallant comes in during your pet spay or neuter process. They use their patented technology to isolate and store your pet's stem cells for future treatment. And the cells are found in the tissue that's just normally thrown away. Stem cells have been evaluated in hundreds of studies and have been shown to improve the quality of life of pets with everything from allergic skin conditions to orthopedic injuries and more. Whereas traditional medicine just manages the symptoms of disease. Stem cell therapies have been shown to address the root cause of age-related illnesses. We can all save our young puppies' healthy stem cells with Gallant's patented non-invasive procedure. And with storage plans that start at only $45 a month, you can give them access to potentially life-changing therapies. Visit Gallant.com to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and you can also save $100 off the initial payment by using the coupon code FRIEND. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening right now that also want to 
be journalists, be writers, or even just, you know, get their foot in the door in a place that they want to work. What was your entry point into Forbes? How did you get in touch with them? And how did you start to build that relationship? Okay, that's such a great question. So first of all, I would say, you know, it's all about building your portfolio, obviously. So start with kind of the low hanging fruit, like start with, you know, the easy things like, you know, writing for a friend's blog or writing, writing for sites without pay, let's say. So for example, so what led to Forbes was funny enough, I was for year after Ask Men, I'll just, I'll go backwards a bit. After AskMen.com, I got a job in marketing at Aldo. So Aldo is, is based in Montreal. And I knew, I knew I wanted to work while I was in Montreal. I wanted to work at a global brand. And Aldo really gave me that new, as much of a, a global feel as I can get, mm-hmm. basically. So another lesson there, P.S., is that I knew nothing about retail. Like I was an editor at a digital, at an online magazine. And all of a sudden I'm trying to get a job as marketing manager at a global retailer. But I did it because it's all about just showing your transferable skills. And, right. Right. So, so I did that. And then I was there for years and then decided to take my writing career full force um, and take that risk. So while I was at Aldo, and this is a piece of advice that I think is very key, is to first write as a side hustle while you're in a full-time job, because to make your side hustle a full-time career is an intense thing. And it's not, you know, it's, it's obviously very stressful and you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket and, and take that leap as glamorous as people can make it look. It's, it's obviously a very difficult thing to do. Totally. So I was writing for, while I was at Aldo, I was writing for Monster, which is super random, but (laughs) I was writing for, yeah, for Monster, but they paid really, really well. And it gave me a really good entry point into career advice. So I was giving, Uh. I was giving career advice while I was doing that. And so that was one way that I built my resume. And then one thing always leads to the next. So I would definitely say another important tip is cultivate your relationships with everybody. So one, one key thing was because I was coming from Aldo, I had coworkers who had connections at magazines I wanted to write for. So a coworker of mine from Aldo connected me with the editor at Coveteur which led to me writing for Coveteur, which was obviously a huge, that was a huge win. So Coveteur, which Coveteur led to Teen Vogue because, oh wait, you were at Teen Vogue as well, weren't you? I was, I was Teen Vogue in my freshman and sophomore year of college. Okay, so our crossover is amazing. So funny. So, okay, so Teen Coveteur led to Teen Vogue because at the time, it was Phil Picardi and Elaine Walter Roth, who were the editors. Okay, so you were there a bit later than me. I was still there during Amy Astley's Teen Vogue. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I remember that Phil and Elaine were interviewed by Coveteur. And so it was just an easy, it was an easy connect right. or trajectory. Right. Exactly. So and you always have to find those pockets and those windows of opportunity. And you have to take them, you know? 
100%. So that led to Teen Vogue. So that was obviously an awesome byline for me to have. And then I was also writing for Create and Cultivate. Um, And Create and Cultivate, they didn't necessarily pay. And that's something also that, you know, you have to learn, like I said earlier, that you kind of have to take some non-paying writing gigs to build your portfolio. Yeah. So I, I was doing that for Create and Cultivate, which was also huge. And Create and Cultivate was actually, I was writing for them most regularly. So right. between Create and Cultivate and all those publications, I had built enough of a portfolio to pitch to Forbes. And I think Create and Cultivate was the big one because, because it was based on female empowerment and career advice and entrepreneurship, which was the perfect lead into Forbes. But super important, like I said earlier, that to keep in touch with your connections and to remember that your network is your net worth because, because I had a good relationship with my coworker at Aldo, she can, her connecting me to Coveter, that was a huge, huge entryway to online, online publishing. Yeah. Definitely. Something that I often talk about and think about is all the people in my life that I came across in college who were doing really similar things to me, whether it was, you know, people that I interned with or people that I went were was in class class with. All these people are still people that I come in contact with today because we all shared this common interest. And I'm so glad that we both we mutually kept those relationships alive because it's so great to have, like know a familiar face in the industry but also lean on each other when we need each other, use each other as resources. And it's also just extremely satisfying to see so many of my friends thrive. But so now with Forbes, you cover mostly women in power and business, which I feel like is such, probably such a fun topic to write about right now with so many women at the forefront of business, building amazing companies. What goes into deciding um, and kind of vetting these opportunities? Uh, Like what's your thought process in like deciding who you're going to write about? Yeah, that's such a good question. Okay, so I I function, I operate a lot on intuition. Um, so for me, so my two, first of all, my two kind of like guiding values when I decide who I'm going to write about is impact and integrity. So, so first of all, to go back to the intuition part, when I... I know right away if I'm going to write about something. Right. Like I know if it's if it's a yes or or a no right away because it's got to get me in the gut in a good way. So like if something makes my heart flutter or if I'm just like so obsessed with a founder because I see that they're doing something different or disruptive or I just love their vibe, then that gets me right in the gut and in the heart. And I, and I can tell that it resonates. Yeah. So, and you know, it's going to resonate with your audience too, if it's resonating with you. Yes, that's so true. That's so true. And someone, someone once mentioned to me, and it was such a big compliment that, that they, that I have a niche of the women I write about, which is like, I guess it's by design, but it's become very natural for me. Right. So I just, I love to hear that though, that like, that I have kind of a signature 
Totally. That's <laughs> I think that's, as a writer though, I think that's the goal. Like so many of the writers that I love and admire and follow, follow right now are all people who have cultivated this very specific voice and this very specific niche and they're experts in what it is that they talk about. And that's why I go to them because I know that if I'm reading a line on Twitter or whatever it is, I can say, oh, that's, that's that writer. And I love them and I listen to them. And like, I can just tell that it's them. And I honestly think that that's like the real goal when it comes to being a writer is you want to establish that voice and establish that connection with your readers. We'll be right back after a quick break. Okay, so every morning I wake up and the first thing I do is go straight to make a coffee. But then everything else happens. I have to feed my dog, make the bed, get myself ready for the day, and so many other things that completely distract me. And before I know it, I'm at my desk with a really cold cup of coffee. And I know you can all relate to this, which is why I am obsessed with my new Ember. Ember is a temperature-controlled smart mug that keeps your coffee or tea hot until the very last sip. We're talking high tech here, guys. There's even an app that comes with it, so you can set your preferred drinking temperature and your Ember mug will keep it there, ensuring a perfect, delicious sip each time. With a sleek design, Ember has a long-lasting built-in battery, so you can sip your coffee in any room of the house without it getting cold. When you're ready to recharge, just place it on the included charging coaster. The Ember app will even notify you when your preferred drinking temperature is reached, so no more burning your mouth or running to the microwave when it gets cold. Available in 10 ounces, 14 ounces, and a travel mug, Ember also just released a stunning new rose gold edition to add to their metallic collection. This new mug is a perfect pop of color for any work at home setup and makes an ideal gift for any coffee or tea lover. Use my code FRIEND for 10% off for first-time purchasers at ember.com. So what's that process like? Like, how do you reach out to them? What's the pitch and how do you nail it? I have just come at people obviously in their DMs. Like if there's a brand that I'm obsessed with, I'll just DM them and say that I absolutely love what they're doing. And I would love, I'd love to interview them. Obviously they're usually ecstatic (laughs) to have a, you know, a writer reach out to them. Right. So, but that, you know, those are the best when, when there is someone, you know, a brand that I just, that I love and it becomes kind of an organic, an organic relationship. Totally. And I'm asked very often, by the way, about social media and whether as a founder, whether it matters how many, how many followers an Instagram account has as a Mm. brand. And it actually doesn't matter. I don't look like personally, I, I don't know about you, but I don't look at a founder or a brand's number of Instagram followers. Well, I think what you and I are captivated to is the story. Like, what is it that they're doing where you're just like, whoa, like, you know, this is something that I pride myself on with even this show is like, okay, I found someone who's doing something so cool and that deserves to be shared. And it's almost more enticing to me when they don't have a lot of followers because I'm like, oh, wow, we can really be a conduit and a platform for them to share that on a wider, wider scale like that it's almost more enticing to me when they're a little bit more unknown I totally agree I totally agree so the metric you know I would tell people as founders not to get too wrapped up in the the metrics of their own Instagram account their own or their brand's Instagram account it's so much more about like you said the founder's story is a compelling and the aesthetic of their feed so I totally agree if you're pitching a brand for the story in, in DMs or in an email, which by the way, in your case, I'm sure people always say yes, but 
but how would you nail a pitch? Like, what would you put in there where you're like, oh, I'm definitely getting this person's attention? Okay. So I'll even go back when I pitched to uh, Phil Picardi. So when I pitched that I wanted to write for Teen Vogue, I, it, I went into his Twitter. I basically got his email from Twitter, which is a very, it's so funny that people don't know that, or not many people realize that like editor and writer emails are literally right there on their Twitter or Instagram feeds. So yeah, definitely. So that's key tip. Um, so I remember I got Phil's email and then obviously once you have like the Condé Nast formula, you know, then you can get all the you other know, Condé Nast. Yeah. <laughs> right. So emailed him and this is critical you know, without looking like a stalker reference that you follow the person and are very, very familiar with their vibe. So I I remember I said something to him, like I emailed him and said, I know it's currently fashion week and you're super busy, but I, I had read that you love the RMS eye highlighter because he had mentioned that in an article of his. So I said, I'm also a huge fan of the RMS highlighter and love that we have that in common. By the way, I would absolutely love to write for Teen Vogue and here are my ideas. So making some kind of personal connection that shows that, yeah, that you have something in common, that you really understand the person's vibe. Right. And then being very concise with the pitch ideas. So that's if you're writing, that's if you're pitching a publication as a writer. And then that kind of applies if I'm pitching to a brand. And I'm sure that formula works in the reverse of what I was asking you earlier. Like what, what catches your eye when something comes in an email? It's like, make it personal, find some commonality between the two of you, put it, put a few pitches in there. Like I always say like two to three so that they're like, they can see a wide range of your, your thoughts and where your head's at. And then I always say like, make it short make it concise. Like no one wants to sit in their inbox, like scrolling through like an essay, like get straight to the point and let them know like why they need you. Yes, totally agree. It's like that whole intuition thing. I, you know, my heart will beat faster over a brand, a brand's raison d'etre rather than the fact that they seeded certain pieces to celebrities. I don't, I don't care personally, like, although I love celebrity culture, I don't care that much about right. the celebrity angle. That what is raison d'etre? I don't speak French. I wish. Oh, I the raison d'etre is um, you're literally your reason for being. Ah, wow. That's really beautiful. Did I say it right? Can you say it again? Yeah. Uh, raison d'etre. Raison d'etre. My French accent is horrible, even though it's my dad's first language. I'll get there <laughs> one day. I promise. Sorry, I don't know why I totally thought that was like a term like déjà vu that like. <laughs> no, I've never heard that. But like, oh. I love that. I love that. That means like, what's your reason for being? That's really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm curious to hear what your process is, especially as someone who writes for different publications. I think that being a journalist and being a freelance journalist is a really sticky job because you have to constantly be advocating for yourself, constantly be pitching and also constantly be on the pulse of like the things that are coming out and making sure that you're covering them. So I'd love to hear what your process is like in terms of always making sure that you are, that you're working basically. Cause I feel like if you're not pitching, 
it's it's not going to happen for you. As a journalist, you have to always be on the pulse of that. Yeah, and it's so hard. I mean, this is something. I mean, full transparency. I'm I'm working on still doing that. Like I'm totally yeah. a work in progress. And but that's like a. I, I feel like constantly pitching yourself. Like it is a life. It is a career long thing that you have to do as a writer. A hundred percent. And what I'm learning to do more now is is like we said at the top of the episode, just advocating for myself. So first of all, in terms of always making sure that I'm writing, thankfully, there are so many stories to be told. So I, I'm never, thank God, I, it's a good problem to have that there are too many stories out there and not enough time. So I emailed Kareen at the beginning of like us talking about doing this episode. And I got a, I got an auto reply immediately. That was like, hi, everyone. Thanks for getting back to me. Like, thanks for replying to this email. Like, my pitch, my, uh, I'm at capacity. (laughs) She was like, I'm at capacity for writing and pitches until June. If I'm already working on a story (laughs) with you, great. Like I'll email you back, but I'm not accepting new pitches until the end of June. And I was like, damn girl is booked and busy. I'm dying because I had to put up that barrier because it's more, you know why it's because of the managing expectations in terms of the follow-ups. So, I mean, it's no joke. I, like I said, uh, there's people who follow up four times or five times and it's exhausting. It's It's exhausting. exhausting. And I feel so bad that I can't reply to everybody. And look, yes, it could just take me two minutes to reply and say, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pass on this right now, but feel free to try again in a few months or whatever. But, But I can't, I can't reply to everybody. It's impossible. Yeah. I feel like that's a good boundary to put up too for yourself, like just for your mental health. Yes. A hundred percent. I think, um, I know there's a lot of freelance writers who are making, who are making a career of it. It's only like a drop of my career, I would say, because for me, like I haven't figured out the secret sauce on how to make a living out of just writing. If someone right. knows that, I would love to hear. <laughs> but I think that one way, you know, and this is this is in in terms of advocating for myself, one route, of course, was podcasting, which I'm doing as well. And another route is is speaking engagements. And I was kind of going around saying, oh, but speakers and panelists don't get paid. Right. Because right away, you know, yeah, there's just I kind of went around with a story of, I can't get paid doing that. And I'm working with a coach actually, who's, I mean, he's amazing and I'm happy to recommend him to, to anyone. And he's shifting my mindset. And he said, you know, you have to get out of the story that, that speakers don't get paid and they absolutely do and ask to get paid. So I did. I did. And it was the first paying speaking gig I got. And that was, that was about a month ago. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, uh, you have to think about all these like auxiliary things that are part of what you do that can continue to propel your career forward and also keep you busy. If, you know, sometimes writing, I get exhausted by writing. I'm like, I don't want to write this month. I want to explore and flex a different muscle in my brain. And like, I think that's really great that you're doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you mentioned your podcast. Um, I'd love if you could tell everybody listening a little bit about yours. Um, I mentioned earlier we're on the same network. 
Um, and it's been such a joy to see her on um, the roster and see her hopefully soon around the office again. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So, yeah, so my podcast is Share a Voice. And it's, I love to say that it's, it's kind of a more intimate or deeper dive into the people that I interview for Forbes. So, but I do also interview men as well. And it's not necessarily people that I've interviewed. It's not necessarily people I've written about. But the concept is all about the people who are making waves, shaking shit up and like creating their own rules and making noise in all different kinds of ways. So the same way that I am guided by integrity and impact in my writing, impact is a huge thing on the podcast as well, as I know yours is too. So a big thing is, like I said, it's people who are living by their own rules and how are they expressing themselves and how are they showing up and using their voice in their work. So it's, artists, writers, founders, all different types of, of people and creatives and, and all that stuff. But it came from, it really came from a personal place of me not, not feeling that I was ever heard or Mm. kind of like, I was always almost playing small and. Right. I think that's so easy to do when you're a journalist and you're behind the scenes. A hundred percent. I think it's so easy for us to be like the person that gives someone else a voice, but it's easy for us to kind of fall in the background. Oh my God. That, that is literally what someone said to me. I remember I was writing for, yeah, I was writing for Forbes for two years and a friend of mine said, well, miss, when is someone writing about you? I was like, what do you mean? And my friend was like, well, when are you like, when are you going to be the subject? Right. Like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And that's it. That I was always kind of, like you said, like hiding behind other people's words and playing small out of choice. And, right. And then I started to recognize that people, you know, it's kind of like the Kim Kardashian moment. People would be like, oh, my God, like I saw you interviewed Kim Kardashian. Sick. And I was like, yeah, thank you. So people were like noticing my articles and my writing. So it was almost like I was being heard through my written words. Right. So I'm curious to hear. Yeah. That's what kind of what I was going to ask was like, as someone that's given a voice to so many people and now has a podcast called share a voice, like what's helped you the most in finding your voice? So hmm, that's such a good question. I never thought about that. (laughs) I would say, I mean, the, first of all, the funny thing is I actually hate the sound of my own voice and used to create You're in the wrong industry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. So I think just getting used to it, like it's, mm. it's, it is a muscle to flex. So yes, it's just, just speaking. The more I'm speaking, the easier I find it is. And that, yeah, it's just practice. Like it really is just, just practice. And I think I took for granted the art of active listening. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, but I'm a great conversationalist. But damn, like, I feel like I need to take a whole course on 
how to listen deeper. Yeah. Yeah. That's an art. And you know what, honestly, just, I'm just learning from everyone I'm interviewing. And I would say with every episode, like I can already see, I could see such a growth, like from October till today, there's, it's just practice and taking smaller risks every day that lead to the, the bigger stuff. Yeah. What stories are you really excited to tell right now? Ooh, I'm very compelled by people whose stories we don't know yet. So, right. you know, like someone, okay, like someone like Elsa Majimbo, for example. Yeah, you wrote an amazing story for her. Thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, she had already gotten quite a bit of press, but. Yeah, but I think there's a difference between like press and like Instagram and all that versus like actually getting to know that person through a story. Yes, agreed. So for me, it's all about, and it's what I'm trying to do is, like you said, going deeper and, and telling a story through a different lens. So I feel I did that with Elsa. And then I want to discover, not discover, but I'm, I'm excited to tell stories of people who haven't told their stories yet. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was so fun. I feel like we talked about like, so much good advice for people who want to be writers and journalists. So I really thank you for coming on and sharing your voice with us and letting us know about your journey to where you are today. Uh, thank you. It was so good to be here. And I want to just leave with kind of my mantra because yeah, I, I really try to be optimistic or I think I am optimistic. Yes. And I, when you're pitching, whether it's you're pitching yourself as a writer, you're pitching yourself as a founder, or pitching yourself for a job. What has guided me is the concept that it takes one yes. Like I said, like the yes, when I was at Ask Men led to a yes with Create and Cultivate, which led to all these different yeses. So so I've had so many no's, but, and I've heard no so many times, but one yes, when you get that one yes, it catapults you and it gives you the momentum to other to other yeses and other totally. Yeah. So even if something doesn't seem to make sense in the moment, just trust the universe that when you get literally one yes, it can lead to so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.